Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it is Cindy Adams, Madam Adams from the New York Post. I've been in it since the Stone Age, since before Alexander Hamilton founded the newspaper, and I've been on it four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and if you're not reading me, that's your problem. Anyway, here I am. It's been a hard week for me. My friend Barbara Walters left us. She was my close and dear friend. We traveled together all over the world. For the last six years, Barbara was unable to leave her home. And for the last some, some months, she wasn't even able to leave her bed. And so I did a front page story called Barbara and Me. Cindy Adams remembers her friend. And it said, see, page seven. And here is my page seven that I pulled out. The headline says, Barbara Walters, my friend, right up to the end. There is a picture of the two of us. And under the picture, it says, close confidants, partners in adventure and global travels together. Barbara Walters and Cindy Adams hobnob toward the end of the late TV legend's public appearances. And there's a subhead says, Oh, the stories I can tell. Which basically means there are a lot of stories I can't tell. Here's the story I wrote. It was, first of all, very painful for me. I spent the holidays up near the Canadian border. I knew that Barbara was not doing well. I knew from a doctor whom we both knew and was close to us both that she was approaching what might seem to be an end. I did not know that the body telegraphs when it's coming to an end. What would someone like me know of something like this? But the doctor said, the body tells you certain things slow down, appetites slow down, pulses go on a different level. And that's how they knew. Anyway, I was up near the Canadian border. I had spoken to Barbara's caregiver just days before I left. And he said, no, you can't come at the moment to see her, but she'll be okay. And so I left. And then I get a phone call. And I'm told before anyone finds out, before it hits the news, that Barbara left. Barbara Walters was my friend right up to the end. The article I wrote said, The world said goodbye to a giant. I am saying goodbye to a friend. Barbara Walters and I met as teenagers. 
Her father was named Lou Walters, and he had the Latin Quarter nightclub, which did showgirls with major boobs, minor costumes, and big-time comedians. That was like 75 years ago. I was a kid. I was dating a comedian named Joey Adams who was starring there in the nightclub. Barbara was attending Sarah Lawrence. We were both very young kids. We stayed close, longer than I admit I've lived. We had homes nearby. We even priced getting Plaza Hotel apartments together. They were to be contiguous apartments until we went up to the plaza and saw it was no longer being taken care of like it used to, and we decided we don't want to live there. We've holidayed together. We've traveled together. We've gone to Berlin, Rome, Croatia, Vegas, Judge Judy's yacht, the Hamptons. In 1971, I was the Shah's personal guest in Persepolis, Iran. It was the 2,000-year anniversary of Iran. Barbara was also invited. So was Princess Grace. So was the lady from, from uh, the Philippines. So was Mahatma Gandhi. So was everybody. Anyway, we were the Shah's guests. She gave me a mink jacket, Barbara. She gave me a gold Bulgari watch. She gave me an 18-carat bracelet from Dubai. In Argentina, when we were there, she bought 20 scarves for gifts. And forgetting I was there when she bought them, she handed me one six months later for Christmas. Barbara and I shared tears, secrets, holidays, birthdays, humor, like she would tell me, quote, as we get older, you get grayer and I get blonder. So what do you give a person who has everything? One birthday, I gave her a year's prepaid Chinese food from a restaurant. They had my credit card and she could order there for a whole year. Another time, I gave her the same deal at the Second Avenue Deli. What are you going to get Barbara Walters, a blouse? I don't think so. On one international cruise, we had our private table. Our backs were to the room. We sat in dark glasses and babushkas. A nearby party of nobodies, six people, were talking loudly. And what they were doing over veal cutlets, they were dissing Barbara. We monitored every word. We heard them. After dinner, the two of us walked over to the table and asked them to repeat what they had said. They turned gray. It was a nice moment. Another time, flying to Italy, there was our cosmetic surgeon friend, Dr. Daniel Baker, 
who has done all the most famous faces in America. He gave me Ambien for the first time. I'd never taken it before. It was five milligrams. Forgetting I'd taken one, I woke up and I took more. I was out. I was permanently out. My head lay in our breakfast omelet as the plane was landing. To disembark, Barbara, who hasn't had a great sense of humor at things like that, Barbara had me tied onto a wheelchair and with her limited humor was not thrilled to be pushing me up a ramp. But in the business, she was the best. She told me, you know, when I was with Castro, he drove me through the mountains by himself to his hideaway where he was a gorilla. Yeah, so what was he like personally, I asked. She said, I found him very sexy. He picked me up in his Jeep. He drove back streets with a gun in his lap. So I said, were you scared? No, she said, never. Once Barbara Walters and I were going to have dinner, and she picked an inn, unknown, unfamiliar, downtown, so-called chic restaurant where people like us never go, the maitre d' bowed low. He selected a special table. He was so excited at people like us coming there. There their tasting menu. Who knew they had a tasting menu? The tasting menu was, ready, rabbit, boar, deer, and pigeon. Not for us. So instead, we killed a whole loaf of bread. Barbara's tab was $900 because they charged us for the tasting menu. $900 plus the tip. The snarky maitre d' said to us, Listen, if you two didn't eat so much bread, you'd have tasted our menu. I sent Barbara a $1,000 in pantyhose to make up for a $900 tab. There was Barbara's longtime Roy Cohn friendship. There was a couple of husbands, a couple of beaux, many of whom... I'm not mentioning. One was a major name in sports. One was Senator Ed Brooke, who was black. And together, we attended Donald Trump's many weddings. In 2006, she wrote a tribute for my 25 years at the New York Post. A fellow animal lover, her Havanese was named Chacha. Years back, when Jazzy, my adored Yorkie, was killed in the supposed care of his trainer, I then went insane. And with the help of local Pauls, I fought to institute the Animal Dog Care Bill, which they then named the Boarding Kennel Regulation Amendment. Now... It is law. Then it was Barbara Walters who stood along, alongside me on the steps at City Hall. A story nobody knows and was never told, and I would never speak it 
except now she's gone. In the 1990s, smart society-logged eatery on New York's east side, which filled with luncheon ladies who ate asparagus and lettuce and nothing else, filled me up with gossip. She and I were sitting in a place called Mortimer's. There was that day we came early. We stayed talking. Her idea was a new talk show. Like I say, I have never told this before. We sat for hours. Her ideas, my thoughts. Her plans, my input. It then became The View. And like I say, I never told that story before. A dozen years ago, she came over. She was unhappy at my appearance. She sent her doctor, who immediately put me into life-saving surgery. It was a ruptured appendix. I was home for months. Following my merry-go-round, Barbara, then, slowly, inch by inch, inexplicably, began frazzling. She fell faint. She had a fall. She became forgetful. She was repeating things. Her longtime loyal, devoted chief of staff, George Gappaneda, who'd been with her about 25 years, accompanied her for tests. They told us it was defective nerve. We don't know what that means. Then there was heart surgery. Then there were doctors, stents, operations. In her floor-through apartment, one room became a hospital room. What happened afterwards that nobody on the outside ever knew but sort of heard about or guessed but never knew from my mouth what happened was slow. Dinners now at home, adjoining a dining room with service for 50, a large living room with one small table became where we'd do dinner. There were always fresh orchids, not guests. Beyond urgencies, this August marked six years Barbara Walters had not been outside. We'd visit in her library, filled with its photos, awards, magazine covers, stories, pictures of the world's famous with her. I'd bring gossip. We'd dish. Then, inch by inch, walking became a wheelchair. Then her conversation stopped. Then it was only the bedroom. Then it was 24-hour-a-day nurses. George, housekeeper Eva, me, we never spoke to anyone about her condition. People surveyed, they asked, they imagined, but it was a code of silence with all of us. We saw, we knew. We didn't always understand, but we knew. So the doctor recognized 
about two weeks before. Let me tell you one thing. It is tough to lose a longtime best friend. A number one. Nobody could beat Barbara Walters. But the very day she left us, so did His Holiness, the former Pope Emeritus Benedict. For the first time in a quarter of a century, Barbara Walters took second billing. So this was in the paper. I heard from everyone. And you know, so many of them called, and they all had stories. Gail King called me from Hawaii, where she's still on vacation. And what Gail King was talking about was friendship. We know of her friendship with Oprah. She knew of my friendship with Barbara. And what Gail King was saying was, after all of the hoopla and the fame and the money and the glamour, down deep, all you have are people who are close to you, people who love you. Gail said, all there is actually is friendship. Like I say, I heard from absolutely everyone. And now what I think I'm going to do, I am going to go to a station break and then I'm going to come back and talk to my longtime other friend, Melissa Rivers, the daughter of Joan Rivers. I'll be back in a minute. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. We all know the name Melissa Rivers. She's Joan Rivers' daughter. She's a book writer. She's a businesswoman. She has a podcast. She's in show business. She's a mother. And she's my friend who sent me flowers for Christmas. First, honey, are you there? Yes, I am. So tell us your life. I'm I'm going to go into a big interview, but so listeners can know, where are you? Where do you live? Tell us that. I live in Los Angeles, where I was actually raised. My parents moved here when I was three, which is interesting because everyone thinks I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. And, and I am sitting here in my home office talking to you. What about your son? Tell us about your son. Oh, Cooper. He is a senior at Berkeley and the captain of the lacrosse team and tries to avoid spending time with me just like every other college student with their parents. Yeah, I can tell you about that. I know about that. Does he have any interest in going into show business at all? He's interested in the music business, and that's where his internships have been. But he keeps saying, I'm not going into the entertainment industry, forgetting, of course, that music is part of it. <laughs> okay. Before we go into the book, which I'm, which is a big thing, tell me about your podcast. That's a new thing. 
It's been on for a little while. We started it, <clears throat> excuse me, during COVID. So that was sort of a start and stop situation. But it's fun, easy, uh, celebrity interviews, topics that I'm interested in. And I like to think of it as trying to be the person you would want to stick next to at a dinner party because I have all this interesting information. So what's the name of it and when do we hear it and what kind of celebrities do you have? Uh, It drops once a week on Thursdays or Fridays. I honestly can't remember because I have so many different things. And you can find it anywhere. Podcasts are available and it's called Melissa Rivers Group Text. Okay. Is there any secret you might like to share? Uh, well, in this week's episode, something I found fascinating and very yeah. refreshing, I had on Jillian Michaels, the fitness expert, and I came straight out and asked if your motivation to work out is simply shallow and vanity, is that okay? <laughs> and she oh, said, nice, nice, yeah. She, she said, absolutely, whatever gets you in the gym. That was good. That was a very good thing. Would you ask me something lousy and rotten like that? You? Yeah. Oh, I I know too many things I'm going to have to take to the grave. <laughs> okay, me too about you. Me too. And, and okay. My <laughs> okay, tell me about the book. Tell me about that book. Tell me all about it. Okay, so it's called Lies My Mother Told Me. Yeah. Tall Tales from a Short Woman. And it started out in response to everybody asking me in the last couple of years, what would my mother be saying about all this? So I started to write an op-ed and you and I know, you know, my writing partner, Larry Amaros. Oh, of course I do. And Larry and I realized that wouldn't it be funny to write the history of the world according to my mother? Yeah. And we honestly, and I keep saying this to people, we were writing about uh, Napoleon on Elba and there not being a Starbucks. <laughs> that's funny. No, that's <laughs> and, funny. That's and funny. And we realized we could tell and make up stories that were all sorts of lies that my mother could have told, but they really sprung from our imagination. And people keep thinking these are true stories. And we're like... <laughs> No, she actually did know the story of the first Thanksgiving and did not honestly think that Plymouth Rock was actually called the Plymouth Rock and a lesbian bar. (laughs) That's good. Well, some of it smells like Larry Amaros. I mean, thank you very much. It's funny. It's very good. Okay. It saved Larry and I during COVID. We would look forward to our, you know, two or three times a week writing sessions because we just laughed our butts off. So how did you do this? Were you together in a room or did you do it by phone? How did you do this? Well, we did it by phone and Zoom and pages going back and forth. It was Uh, definitely a new writing dynamic. Well, tell us a couple of little stories that you have in this book. Well, we have an incident of my mother trying to convince me that she and the Pope were text friends after meeting (laughs) at a musical on Broadway. 
Oh, that's great. That's great. So, <laughs> so who who was funnier, the Pope or or your mother? Well, I think the lie she was trying to convince me of was probably the funniest thing. Now, I can guarantee you, as you can attest, my mother never met the Pope oh, at I'm theater. Sure. I'm sure. Because <laughs> you would have probably been there. <laughs> I'm sure. They certainly had different wardrobe, I'll tell you that. So who published this? Uh, Post Hill Press. Okay, and tell me when it came out, and tell me a little bit more about it, and some of the stories or some of the people in it. Uh, it came out right before Mother's Day. Yeah. And it has just been, thankfully, chugging along. You can get it anywhere you can get books. Some of the other stories, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, we do tell, she does tell the story explaining why I'm an only child by likening it to Cain and Abel. Um, and that I ate my twin in utero, which is why I have weight problems. <laughs> That's very funny. It's also very creative. It's very, very creative. So how it many? It was really fun to try and channel the most outrageous things and then put them in my mother's voice and make them believable. Would anybody be offended at some of the stuff you did? I think I got a pass because we were putting it in her voice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But you're doing an awful lot of things, Melissa. I mean, you're also in business, too. You're doing a lot of things. Tell us what else you're doing. Uh, I have a limited series in development. I have a movie in the end stages of development, starting to interview directors. So that's exciting. I have a new talk show on a brand new platform called Fireside that hopefully next year will be widely available on smart TVs. Uh, I'm surviving uh, life. And... <laughs> Okay, you're in, just you, trying to keep my head above water, Cindy. I'm paddling as fast as I can. So, what happened to all your mom's files? I have them. They are in proper storage. Everything's been put on a massive database. I think we had something like seventy-two thousand unique jokes. Oh my! Oh good. Without oh, cross-referencing. Yeah. So and, did you um, stick any in the book or any in the book? We reference a number of them in the book. I I do write a whole story, which I think I could you could relate to, uh, about a conversation between my mother and her friend Margie, who you knew, about my mother explaining to me when I asked her not to say something that she only told Margie, and who is Margie going to tell? <laughs> and explaining that that doesn't mean don't tell anyone. And Margie is a composite of all of her friends. I got it. I got it. I got it. And her, I'm sure you had conversations where my mother said, don't tell Melissa I told you. Yeah, well, of course. Of course. 
and I told her things she shouldn't tell until she got to the telephone to tell everyone. Yes, I mean, <laughs> but that's that's what we are. One day, I remember we were going to a lousy delicatessen here in New York, and she was dressed in sequins and spangles. And I said, Joan, we're going to a crappy delicatessen, you know, with mustard and stuff like. And she said, if they don't like it. Too bad about them. And she came in to this crappy little deli in sequins. That that was Joan. Yes. What happened and to the wardrobe? I remember the stories about you and Ugh. my mother Ugh. and Judge Judy going to Williamsburg. <laughs> yes. And your mother was superstitious. Tell us about that, because I know that. I know that. I lived through it with her. She was very superstitious. Don't put a hat on a bed, constantly knocking on wood. Uh, you have to remember, both of her parents were <clears throat> Russian immigrants. And I think that was the very Russian thing about her, where there's all these superstitions and things like that. And I think it was just sort of part of her childhood. Still, I can't put a hat on a bed without freaking out. Well, well when we were spending the weekend together... She told me the next morning we had to check out of the hotel. And I said, yeah, w well, why? She said, the closet was moving towards me. I remember the words exactly because I had never heard anyone say that. And actually, I think it was she had your kid come up and sleep in the room because she couldn't stay in the room by herself. She was too scared because the closet was moving. I believe it. And Cooper actually says that he felt and saw things, too. And they basically clung to each other all night, terrified. Yeah. No, I remember that. I remember a few things like that. She was always scared and she was terrified of a lot of things. For instance, when we were in two adjoining rooms, she would take a club chair and jam it against the lock of the door. And against the lock of the door, she also put newspapers so that she could hear if anybody tried to get into the room. I think that's definitely from the years on the road, staying in horrible places, especially when she was starting out, where especially at that time, it was very unsafe for women to be alone. Well... I guess so, but she did. She also did things that were so special. Melissa, she, she would, as you well know, she would have her hair done every single morning at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m., wherever in the world she was. And she would have somebody, wherever in the world she was, come in and do her makeup. I mean, she could have been in the Ukraine, and they would have found somebody to do her makeup and her hair. Did you know? You, of course you knew that. I totally knew that, and it was a, a, a situation where she always felt that she never wanted to, anyone to say, I saw Joan Rivers, and she looked like crap. She yeah. really did feel that once she was out in public, she was public property. And she didn't ever want someone to be disappointed in seeing her or meeting her. Well, she she was very special. She was very... What happened to all her dogs? Uh, the dogs went to her longtime assistant. Yeah, yeah. Who was as close to them as she yes. was. And the apartment in New York was sold. Did you keep any place here at all? 
No, unfortunately, I didn't because I just don't spend enough time in New York anymore, which depresses me also. But I do have, you know, wonderful places that I stay when I'm there. And, you know, having another place there is not out of the realm of possibility. I remember, I'm sure you remember, where were we when we were all together on vacation? Was it Mexico? Where were we? It was Mexico. In that wonderful house. What was it? She took a house for a couple of, for 10 days or something like that? Yes, she took a house for 10 days in Punta Mita, Mexico, and it had these extraordinary views and beach access and the whole thing. And we all went down and relaxed, including you. Yeah, I remember. I remember. But I didn't have the face and the makeup and the hair that she did. Give me, give me one personal standout memory of, of Mom Joan that you have that we would never have. Um, it had to be when I was actually in labor with Cooper and she was in the hospital room and it was time to actually have him. And she decided to go into the bathroom because she had been asleep and brush her teeth and all that kind of stuff. And by the time she had come out, they had totally transformed the room, getting ready to actually push and have him. And I looked at her and I said, leave, stay, just get out of the way. And she somehow, (laughs) I do not know how, shimmied around the whole room and got behind the bed, behind my right shoulder. And was there with her hand on my shoulder the entire time. Oh, Melissa. Melissa, to talk to you, I mean... I had such memories, and to talk to you, even on radio or on the phone, please come to New York. Please come and have dinner with me. I would love to see you and to hug you and put my arms around you. And I, the same with you, and you got to come out to L.A. It's almost award season. Uh, I'm not coming this time. I've had, the, the, the pandemic has sort of stopped a little of the travel, but I, I, I will be more in touch with you, and I thank you for the flowers you sent me. I tell you, the book is terrific. I'm reading it. I, your podcast is great. I'm just aggravated that you're funnier than I am. Oh, please. No one's funnier than you, Cindy. My mother would tell anyone that. <laughs> Thanks for coming on with me, Melissa. Thank you, sweetheart. I love you. Thanks. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. So I am now about to speak to His Extreme Excellency, the Commodore Michael Fortenbaugh, which I have to tell you, I don't know what the hell a Commodore is. He's the Commodore of the Manhattan Yacht Club, which I also didn't know we had. Go, tell me, Michael, what what is this? What is a Commodore? The Commodore is a person who's in charge of a fleet of boats. So I'm one step above a captain and one step below an admiral. And the Manhattan Yacht Club is the entity that reintroduced recreational sailing to New York Harbor in 1987. Well, all I know is this Manhattan Yacht Club is in New Jersey. Well, it used to be in New York City. We were in New York City for 
almost 30 years, but um, our location at North Cove Yacht Harbor was taken away from us, and we fled to New Jersey with no other choice. But ever since then, we've been plotting our return, and we hope Battery Park City will invite us back very soon. Listen, I'm going to try to help your career here, sweetie. So tell me slowly, since I am a little bit not too bright, what actually is the Manhattan Yacht Club, and you do what? Well, the Manhattan Yacht Club is the foremost uh, sailing organization in New York Harbor, and we make it possible for busy New Yorkers to sail by the Statue of Liberty. And our club is based on a shared-use concept. It's like a tennis club, um, and members can join the club without owning their own boat and use the club-owned boats to go sailing in the harbor. Listen, we got New York, which has immigrants and homeless. I don't really know about too many of us who are schlepping around on a yacht. What do we got, 11 people in New York who are going on yachts? Well, that's one way to look at New York City, but New York City is the most exciting city in the world. There's all ranges of people, and you could focus on the immigrants and the homeless, but also those immigrants, second generation, are making it big, and they want to do great things. Everybody wants recreation, and uh, this is just one form of recreation that makes the city more livable for everyone. So how do you get to be a member? Membership's easy in our Yacht Club. You just go on the website and uh, read the information and you can apply. Our Yacht Club is more of a modern Yacht Club. We're not a stodgy organization. We want to encourage everyone who loves the sport of sailing to get involved. Okay, and how do you get to be a Commodore, honey? Well, being a Commodore is pretty hard. Just like uh, how do you get to become Cindy Adams? Don't be snotty. I'm just asking you a question. (laughs) You you got it. Uh, You get to be a Commodore, um, in my case, by starting the Yacht Club. I I started it out of college in 1987, and uh, since then, uh, I've held on to the uh, steering wheel of the club really hard. No one's been able to throw me overboard yet. Well, wait wait a few minutes. What do you do? What are your duties besides saluting whatever? I mean, what do you do, actually, besides get a paycheck? What? Well, some of the duties uh, to be a Commodore, of course, is to uh, give speeches, shake hands, make everybody feel special. <laughs> and then also, uh, when we travel around the world, you know, I've got to bring all the club members up to meet with Prince Albert of Monaco and to meet with the Commodore of the Royal Yacht Squadron. So it's, it's, it's very much like being an ambassador for New York City around the world. It really sounds like you work very heavy. You have very heavy work. I understand that. I understand that. What is William Wall? And I don't, I don't understand any of these things. What is a William Wall? Yes, the Honorable William Wall is our floating clubhouse in New York Harbor. It's a 90-foot barge. And um, it's one of the things that's made our club so famous. The way it works is that we've opened our clubhouse to the public, and anybody can buy a $20 ticket, which is very reasonable, and you can come out on an evening and sit in the harbor and have a beer or a bottle of rosé wine or a Mount Gay rum and tonic. And you get to watch how beautiful the city is, the skyline changing, all the boats. It's really one of the 
You mean any simple person can spend a few bucks and, and, and get on a boat for an evening? That is correct. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Okay, where do you, where do you go to school to, to learn to be a Commodore? Oh, that's a good question. I, I didn't go to school to learn to be a Commodore. What happens is I went to school to learn, but once I found out there was other things to do in life, like being a Commodore, I sort of almost failed out of school. In other words, are you telling me that you're not a terrific student? Well, I was actually a very, a very good student, but in my between my sophomore and junior year, I discovered New York City. And uh, once I discovered New York City, I fell in love with the city, the action, the excitement, the people you meet. And it was hard for me to go back to a small school after being in the city. So I just love New York City so much. It's my home. I, I, I love it. It's in my blood. Okay. So do you do private parties? People can get married or engaged or have a bris or whatever it is. Sure. How do they do that? They oh, come yeah. to you and they pay for it like they're hiring a room. Is that it? Exactly. Yeah. We, we have all sorts of, yeah, we have weddings, corporate events. We have a lot of summer office parties out in our clubhouse in the Harbor. We've had a lot of celebrities out there, a lot of famous movie stars. Who, who, uh, who, who, who have you had? Well, well, I guess the most famous movie star that went out to the clubhouse was Leo DiCaprio. He came out on the signature event, the full moon party, which is a big dance party. Oh, well, okay, but okay, I'm limited. I understand what you're saying. But if a person is listening to me and they've never done this, how do they go on an evening? Where do they look? How do they do this? Exactly. All they need to go is to the website, which is willywall.com. And then during the summer, they can buy a ticket. The tickets are only $20. And they can go out into New York Harbor and experience the beauty of New York City. It is the best deal in the city. And it's New York Harbor's number one secret treasure. People don't know about it. The reason they don't know about it is our capacity is only 150 people a night. How long do they stay out on the boat? Well, they can stay as long as they like to. People normally stay two or three hours but it's really an, a before-dinner type of event. You go out after work, you have a drink, you really love them, and then you go back to the city and have a fine dinner at a nice restaurant. That, that's, a, that's a New York City evening for me. Okay, so then you're not serving food or anything? Well, we don't serve uh, dinner out there. It's, really, it's a bar, but what happens is people can bring their own picnic dinners. And every, a lot of people do that because, it's, you know, where else can you do that in the city? They bring their own food out and people stay till 10 o'clock at night. What about winter? We're closed during winter. We're an outdoor venue. It's, there's a lot of outdoor venues in the city, um, and we're one of them. So it's too cold in winter. So what does a Commodore do when he's unemployed? Well, I'm never unemployed. We're, we're making plans for next year, and I got a really exciting uh, email yesterday from my friends at Yacht Club de Monaco, and we're going to have three competitions next summer between the Manhattan Yacht Club and the Yacht Club de Monaco. One competition, the 12-meter Worlds in Newport, the second competition in New York Harbor called the Lady Liberty Regatta with top women teams from around the world. And our final competition is going to be in Monaco itself called New uh, Monaco Classic Week. So 
Could a Commodore ever go higher? Could you become a Commodore Extreme? <laughs> whatever is whatever is the rank above Commodore? I mean, if you had well, more than one boat or some stupid thing, could you? What's above a Commodore? You know, I, I don't think anything's above a Commodore. And, and once you're a Commodore, you don't necessarily want to do anything more because it's the greatest job. But also, these type of jobs are not always. Um, uh, well, I, I won't say that. It is, it, it's the most special job. I'm the Commodore of the Yacht Club here in New York City, which is the most special city. We invite people from all over the world to come here, and we fly around. It's the best job. I, I would never want to do anything else than this. Thank you, Michael. And if I call you one day, I would like to try it. I really would. But I would call you one day, and maybe you can find me a little boat or something. Thank you. It's no problem. I'm happy to do any type of VIP experience. It's very easy for me to do. We have a lot of toys. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you as well. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I feel that on this one-hour broadcast, I've been on it for about eight hours. I have been speaking so long, and now I'm going to sign off. But before I do... I just want to give you a little piece of information that I got. Joe Biden's holiday present to friends in this special city, which is the capital of the world, New York. He has a new book coming out. The title is Why I Believe in God and Vice Versa. Hey, only in New York, kids. Only in New York. And thank you for listening. It's Cindy Adams wishing you a happy month. Thanks. Bye.